0: Does anyone have any questions in your mind that comes to your mind when you read those words, lead us not into temptation? I think probably a lot of people would have thoughts in their mind, questions in their mind when they read a verse like that, lead us not into temptation. I won't try to speak to you this morning on this subject and I hope As I speak to you, that I am able, or God enables, or God will direct what I have to say this morning to speak to your comfort. There's a verse of Scripture in the Book of Psalms. I'm sorry, Book of Isaiah, the 40th chapter, that's very precious to me. And I think very precious to every, should be very very precious to every preacher. He says, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem, and cry unto her, that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. In our daily walk through this life, We have many troubles, many trials. And there are times as a preacher that the things that we say may bring conviction. Sometimes it's necessary to rebuke. But I think the main thing that we should, I want to do, and I think most preachers want to do when they preach is they want to comfort God's people. And that's what I desire to do, and I hope that God will enable me this morning to bring that forth and apply it to your hearts that you might receive some comfort in what we have to say. Lead us not into temptation. I think the first question that would come to my mind and would come to a lot of people's mind as they think about this well, if God if we're asking God to not lead us into temptation, would God lead us into temptation? Would it be his desire if unless we pray, is God going to lead us into temptation? I heard a sermon several years ago. A man had been asked to come to a special meeting and he'd been asked to preach on this subject on the the subject I'm about to name, and the subject that he was asked to speak on is God, the author of sin. And he said, when he got up to preach, he said, that's my subject, and he said, I could just say no and sit down, I think I've answered the question. God is not the author of sin. And I don't think anyone here would think that God is the author of sin. James says in the first chapter of the book of James, the 13th verse, he says, let no man say when he is tempted that I'm tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. Nobody can say that when, when they're tempted that God is the one that has tempted them. But yet, it seems in the nature of man, and especially in our sinful nature, That when we do sin, that we always want to blame somebody else for our sin. And even, and even to the point of blaming God. And I think there's good scripture for this if you'll look with me back in the book of Genesis, the third chapter. When Adam and Eve had eaten of the forbidden fruit in the garden of Eden. And in that third chapter, the ninth verse, And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, Who told thee? Oh, And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou was naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? Now, of course, God knew already what Adam had done. But he was bringing him to confess his sin. But notice what Adam said. He didn't say, Yes, Lord, I have eaten of the tree that you told me not to eat of. I've eaten of that fruit. And I have sinned against you. That's not what Adam said, is it? And the man said, the woman, first of all, he put the blame on Eve. But really, he put the blame on God, because he said, the woman that you gave me, the woman that thou gavest me to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. So he really tried to put the blame back on God. God, if you hadn't given me that woman, then she wouldn't have given me that fruit and I wouldn't have eaten of it. So it's awful easy. And it's something that a lot of people try to do is they try to put the blame on God for their own sins. I've noticed in my studies of the Scripture and I don't, I don't know if I've ever heard a, a sermon preached exactly on the subject. And I'm, that's not all the subject I'm going to speak on this morning, but i want to touch upon it. A marked difference between a child of God and a person that is not a child of God is that they always put the blame on somebody else. It's easy to do. You know, you can nearly all, always, for anything that you find that is wrong, that maybe you do wrong, that you can put the blame on somebody else and not take all the blame for yourself. I want to caution you young people that are here this morning, and I, I wish we had more young people, but I want you to know that I appreciate y'all being here. And I hope that you're not here just because you have to be, but we want you here and we love you. Appreciate you being here. But I hope that you learn as a child, and there's times that you're going to do things wrong and your parents are going to catch you doing things wrong, don't put the blame on somebody else. If you've done wrong, then you you, uh, own up to what you have done wrong, and don't try to put the blame on somebody else. In the book of 1 Samuel, the thirteenth well the fifteenth chapter. Let's start, let's start with the thirteenth chapter. If I can get there. First Samuel chapter 13. Saul had gone into battle, was getting ready to go into battle, and I won't take time to read all the background, but uh, Samuel, the prophet, had told Saul, don't do don't do anything till I get there. When I get there, I'm going to sacrifice to the Lord and I'm going to pray, and then you go and do what you're supposed to do. Well, Saul, he, uh, he got antsy. He got anxious. And, of course, a lot of the problem that Saul had in his life is he didn't trust in the Lord like he should have. And so in the 8th verse of that 13th chapter, it says, and he, and he tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed. But Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. And Saul said, Bring hither a burnt offering to me, and peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. And it came to pass that as soon as he made an end of offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him, that he might salute him. And Samuel said, What hast thou done? And Saul said, Because I saw that the people were scattered for me, and that thou camest not within the time appointed, and that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmash. Therefore, said I, the Philistines will come down upon me to Gilgal, and I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I forced myself, therefore, and offered a burnt offering. Well, you see, Samuel was not a priest. I mean, uh, uh, Saul was not a priest. Saul did not have the right or the authority, he was not ordained, to offer burnt offering. But he said he forced himself. Why did he do that? He said, well, Saul, Samuel, he blamed it on Samuel. If you'd have come when you told me you were going to be here, then I would have waited on you. But you didn't show up, and I just got afraid that things were going to get out of hand, so I went ahead and offered that offering myself. What did Samuel say in the 13th verse? Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God which he commanded thee for now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon upon Israel forever but he wanted to blame Samuel because Samuel hadn't gotten there when he was supposed to and then over in the 15th chapter there was another time that they were going to go up against the Amalekites and in the third verse of that 15th chapter this is what the Lord had said through Samuel, Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. That uh, sounds pretty harsh, doesn't it? But that's what God commanded. Well, they went into battle, but it says in the ninth verse, but Saul and the people spared Agag, he was the king, and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings and the, and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them, but everything that was vile and refuse, that they destroyed utterly. Not what God told him to do, is it? And the order, the commandment had been given to, to Saul, who was the king. So it was Saul's responsibility to see that this order or this commandment was carried out. Well, later Samuel came in the 14th verse. And Samuel said, What meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears? and the lowing of the cattle which I hear. He said, by the way, let's read verse 13 first. And and Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. In other words, I've done exactly what you told me to do. And Samuel said, well, How come I hear the sheep? And why do I hear the cattle? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the rest of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God and the rest we have utterly destroyed well Samuel I, I, I won't do that but the people they 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 want to save these animals and we're going to offer them a sacrifice uh, we're, we're really you know holy and and we're really want to serve the Lord but you see the thing of it is that's not what God told them to do. There's a lot of people, a lot of things that if if you I'm not going to so much get off on this today, but I just want to remind you that there are a lot of excuses that people give as to way that they serve the Lord because they think that they're just doing the right thing when they don't just follow the commandments that the Lord gave. We don't have the authority, we don't have the option. To take what God has commanded and change it to suit our own fancy. Or even, as people often claim, they think they're actually doing God. They know better what God needs than what God himself says that we're to do. But Samuel blamed the people. Well, you know, they're the ones. The people saved them. Putting the blame on somewhere else besides where it should go. I did hear a sermon one time by a man, the only time I ever met him, ever heard him preach. That talked a little bit about the difference between David and Saul. In the book of 2 Samuel, we were in 1 Samuel, let's go over to 2 Samuel and let's look at the difference between David and Saul. And like I said, I hope that you remember that I do think that this is one of the distinguishing characteristics between a child of God who's been born again by the Spirit of God and one who knows not God. I believe we see a real difference here. Getting it, I, I won't take time to read all of this chapter, chapter 12, but I'll re- refresh your minds about what this is about. After David had committed the sin with Bathsheba, and when it was found out that he tried to found out that she was with child, and he tried to get her husband to go in and uh, be with her were that he would think it was his child but the, the husband refused to do that because he was so loyal to David and to the men that he fought with. And so to get rid of the evidence then David had him killed. So he committed adultery and he committed murder. Well Nathan came to David. Nathan the prophet came to David and he said, David, he said, I want to tell you about a man in your kingdom there was a man in the kingdom that had a, a small family, a poor man, and he had a little lamb. They had one lamb. And this lamb was like a pet, stayed in the house with him. And the neighbor was a rich man, and he needed a lamb, he needed a sheep. And so he took the poor man's sheep, and he dressed it and ate it. made David angry. He said, you tell me who that is, and I'll make sure that he restores to the man that he stole the lamb from. And that's when David uh, Nathan said to David in the seventh verse, he said, Nathan said to David, thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. And I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom and gave thee the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. In other words, David, I have been giving you everything that you need. Why did you have to go and take another man's wife and and kill the man? But this is what David's response was in verse 13. Let me tell you probably what Saul's response would have been. What a lot of people's response would have been. Well God, that woman shouldn't have been out there where I could see her naked. If she hadn't gone out there and did what she did and tempted me, I never would have fell into that sin. It's the fault of the woman. But that's what Dr. David said, is it? He said, I have sinned against the Lord. He didn't try to put the blame on anybody else. When he was confronted with it, he said, I have sinned against the Lord. I hope that We will always have that attitude that when we're confronted with our sin, and we're going to have sin in our life. But I hope that when you have sin in your life, that when you're confronted with it, that you will always confess your sin and confess that I have sinned against the Lord. David wrote the 51st Psalm. Some people said in relation to this sin. And he said in that Psalm, Against thee and thee only have I sinned. And done this evil in thy sight. He didn't try to put the blame on anybody else. God is not the author of sin. And when we do sin. We can't blame God for it. We have nobody to blame. But ourselves. So getting back then to the text. Lead us not into temptation. Well, if God doesn't make us to sin, and when we do sin, it's because of our own evil self. Then what do we mean when we ask that God not to lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil? I don't know how far I'm going to get with this today. But I will say this, that there are two kinds of temptations that are mentioned in the Bible. We often, we think of being tempted when we're tempted to sin. But there are other temptations that we have that God brings upon us other than sin. In the 22nd chapter of the book of Genesis, the Bible here says that God tempted Abraham. First verse chapter 22 and it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. What did he how did he tempt Abraham? What he was doing here is he was testing Abraham's faith. So oftentimes God brings calamities and 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 things in our lives to test our faith and to prove our faith. Now what God tested Abraham's faith was, he told him to take his son, his only son Isaac, and to offer him as a sacrifice. Now that was not just a temptation of killing his son, but it was also a temptation of whether or not he really believed the promises that God had made to him. Because God had promised Abraham that it was through his seed that the Messiah, the Savior, was going to come. And that it, was, that it was through his seed and that it was going to be through Isaac. <clears throat> so when he told him to sacrifice Isaac, not only was he asking him to sacrifice his son, but he was asking him to believe that the promise that he had made concerning the Messiah was, was going to come even though he was asking him to sacrifice his son. He tempted him in that way to prove his faith. But you know what? His faith came through. And the Bible tells us in the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews that Abraham believed that God, when he was on his way to sacrifice Isaac, he believed that God was going to resurrect him. That's how strong that his faith was. Of course, we know how that that all came out. He didn't actually have to sacrifice his son, but he was willing to, and God was testing his faith. And I can tell you this morning that if you have faith in God that there's times that God is going to test your faith. If He doesn't test it it probably means you don't have any. But if you have faith God's going to test it. Sometimes it brings calamities upon our lives. One of the best known stories That illustrates this in the Bible, and we have a whole book in the Old Testament on it, is the book of Job. I have had people say to me, and you probably had people say to you, Well, when bad things happen to people, God is not involved in that. When, when bad things happen to people, that's something God doesn't have anything to do with. I want to ask you a series of questions. When something bad, what we would consider bad, comes to us, first of all, did God know it was going to happen? If you say that God didn't know it was going to happen, then you're saying God's not omniscient. But the Bible tells us that God is omniscient. He knows all things. And I want to tell you something else to go along with that. God doesn't know things as they happen. He doesn't know things right before they happen. God is an eternal God. For So what God knows, He's always known. You think God didn't know you were going to be here this morning? Those that are not here, you think God didn't know they weren't going to be here? God is an omniscient God. So, when something, if something bad, what we consider bad happens to a person, did they, did God know it was going to happen? And I think you're going to have to confess that yes, God knew it was going to happen. All right, my second question then is, If God knew it was going to happen, could he have prevented it from happening? Now, the God that we know, the God of the Bible, tells us, teaches us that there's no power that is foreign to God. I mean, he created the world. He spoke it. He just spoke it into existence. So, if God could speak the world into existence, and so many things that we read in the Bible that God does and has done, could God have prevented what we think would be a calamity that happened to somebody's life? Well, He knew it was going to happen, He's sovereign. And got all power, so he could have stopped it, then why did he not? Why did God not prevent it? Well, I can tell you that this is, is is hard for some people to understand, but it's just true. That if he didn't if he knew it was going to happen and he didn't prevent it, then it must have been his will that it happened. I am glad that I know that God is in control of all things. And I'm glad I know and have the precious promise in His Word that all things that happen, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. So whatever happens is because God has purposed it to happen, but His purpose is to happen for the good of His children, And for his own glory. Now with that in mind. Let's look at Job. I've heard people make the statement. Concerning things like this. I'll say this before I get into Job. They'll say well my God wouldn't do so and so. Or my God wouldn't have done this. Your God might not have. But the God of the Bible. Is what we have to look to. The Bible in the, in the book of Job Job God it says that God had had gathered together was with, with the what would we would think would be the angels and Satan came among them And God said to Satan, "Have you considered my servant Job? Why he's a man that is an upright man?" I think what God was saying, you'll not find a better example of one of my children that's obedient on this earth. And Satan said, well, that's just because you've built a hedge around him. You've made everything good for him. He said, you take that hedge away, you take some of those good things away from Job, and, and he won't worship you anymore. And God said, Alright, I'm gonna put him in your hands on you. You can't touch his body. Now this is God. Remember, this is God. And Satan took away in a day, and actually in a moment, he took away all the riches that Job had, and he was one of the richest men in that in the world at that time. He took his sons and his daughters from him. His sons and daughters were killed. They were in a home and they were all had gathered together in one of the homes and a storm came and the house fell down and killed every one of his children. Now did God know that was going to happen? Could God have prevented it from happening? It must have been God's will that that happened. But in all that, Job still worshipped the Lord. Job's faith was not swayed. Job said, The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Well, once again, Satan came in the presence of God and God pointed out Job. And he said, well, you know, a man Job might not have cursed you yet, but you take his health away from him and he won't worship you anymore. And God said, okay. I'm going to give him over to you. You can't kill him, but you can take his health away from him. And Job's health was taken away. He was sickly. And he was a man who had been looked upon in the community, had been what we would call a pillar of the community, and, and people were making fun of him. Children were, were uh, uh, saying, I guess, little songs, making little songs about him. He was despised in the eyes of the people that he lived with, and his health was gone, and there was a lot of doubts that came up in Job's mind. But Job did not deny his faith in God. He said it one time in the 19th chapter of a verse that, some verses there that are so sweet to us, he said I know that my Redeemer lives. We have a song that, based upon that in our song book. I know that my Redeemer lives. and He said I'm going to see Him someday. I'm paraphrasing. He said and with my own eyes I'm going to see my Redeemer. He didn't understand all that was going on. But he could not deny God. God tested the faith of Job. How did he test his faith? He tested his faith by taking away all of his earthly goods. By taking away his children. Taking away his health to prove the faith of Job. A lot of people, like I said, they don't want to serve a God like that. But I'll tell you what it said about Job. In the last chapter of Job, Job chapter forty-two, it says, "So in the verse twelve, so the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning, for he had fourteen thousand sheep and six thousand camels and a thousand yoke of oxen and a thousand she asses." And he had also seven sons and three daughters. And so in other words, the latter end of Job was even better than the beginning. So God didn't forget Job, but God did test his faith. And it don't always work out that way either. In the book of the Revelation, I mean uh, the book of Hebrews, I'm sorry, the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, after it talks about all the people that God had delivered, what we call the hall of fame of faith. In the 35th verse, it says, "...women received their dead raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial, of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned." They were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskin and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. For God, having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. You see, sometimes God delivers people in this life. But sometimes they go all the way through death. Sometimes they they go through the sword. But God never forsakes us. So I hope you remember that when trials come upon you, that God has not forsaken you, but that God is just proving your faith. And when I say proving, I'm saying he's testing it to show that what you have is real. Lead us not into temptation. What God does, sometimes for our own good, and we're supposed to pray, and we do pray, for God not to lead us into temptation, to lead us away, and to keep us from evil, and that is our prayer. But sometimes God allows His people to fall into sin. He doesn't make them sin. We God, listen. God doesn't have to make you sin. You've got plenty of of that in yourself, and I do too sometimes God allows His people to fall into sin, to test their faith and to prove it, but also to make us trust Him more. This is one that I want to read to you that's very familiar to you in the book of Luke. The 20, I believe it's Luke 23, let me get over there, Luke 22, Luke chapter 22 and verse 31, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Well, they came and took Jesus. Peter followed him afar off. And he was asked three times if he was a disciple of Jesus, and three three times he denied it. And let's read in that same chapter toward the latter part of it. Verse 59. And about the space of one hour another confidently affirmed, saying of a truth, this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately, while he yet spake, the cock crew or crowed. Jesus had told him, he said, before the cock crows three times, you're going to deny me. It says, and the Lord turned and looked upon Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. You know what Peter had said before this when Jesus told him, Back where we read in verse 31, when he told him that he was going to deny him, verse 31 and 32. Peter said in verse 33, he said, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both in the prison and into death. Don't worry about me, I'm not going to deny you. What was Peter trusting? He was trusting in his own self, his own strength. God allowed Peter to fall into this sin to show Peter his own weakness and to show him that the only power that he had was in the Lord Himself. Dear child of God, when you do, and you shall, we all shall from time to time, when you fall into sin remember that even though when God allows that to happen He's going to work that somehow or another for your good. And your faith is going to come out stronger in the end. You see Peter We can only speculate somewhat of what happened to Peter after this. Peter was ashamed. But Peter learned in this, he learned not to trust in his own flesh, but to trust in God. And this man who had denied the Lord, while he was being beaten and scorned, Peter denied him. But God used Peter later on, on the day of Pentecost, to preach when 3,000 were converted. Peter was the first man that God used to take the gospel to the Gentiles when he went and preached to the home of Cornelius. Don't think that because, don't get despondent. I know that you will. I know that you'll grieve for your sin, but don't let it get you down to the point that you give up. I'll tell you what, there's, has anybody ever, I'll, I'll, I can point to you one right in front of you that has. Have you ever given up and say, well, Lord, I just, I've just made such a mess of things. I've just failed you so much, I just, you know, I just give up. I I think probably all of us at some point in time come to those kind of decisions. I don't mean that we actually do it, but those thoughts come in our minds. God, I just can't, I don't know why that you put up with me. But we continually pray to God, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. When you do fall into temptation, Paul said when he wrote to the Galatians. The sixth chapter of the book of Galatians. Well, I thought I was in the right book. but no, then I wasn't. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a false, Ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. And then verse three, if a man, for if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. If you think that's not me, if you think like Peter did, oh Lord, that's not me. I'll go to death with you. You don't have to worry about me denying you. If a man thinks himself when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Let him that standeth—that's not in this first part—but him that standeth, let him that standeth take heed lest he fall. We're all subject to fall. We're all subject to temptation. We have to continually pray to God. God, lead us not into temptation. Deliver us. Help us that we'll trust in You. That we'll look to You. That we don't need these hard lessons. We're still going to get them, but let's pray that we don't need so many of them. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Our Heavenly Father, I pray that You will take the words that have been spoken here this morning even though they're so... Full of human faults. and But I pray that you might take this and speak to the heart of your people. To give them courage. Give them strength. To give us to know that we have to trust upon you for all things. Show us as gently, dear Father, as you can. Show us the weakness of the flesh so that we might know that we have no strength and no hope apart from you. Help us to trust in you, to love you, and to serve you. And to just believe you for who you are. And to know that you've been merciful to us. You've loved us. Our sins are put under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our eternal home has been secured for us. But help us as we walk through this life. Give us strength to learn and to trust you more. We pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.